The message you are about to hear was preached at Gosum Africa 2019. Justification by grace through faith. Stay tuned. So we can overflow with purpose in mind. You say to us. Praise God. Please take your seats. Thank you very much. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I want to say welcome to everyone this morning. I am, I am so full just seeing all of you. Uh, but I know that you have expectations, so I have to go on. So <laughs> uh, well, again, Pastor Nee, thank you very much. Uh, last year was the first time we did Gosim Africa here in Accra, Ghana. Uh, Bishop Moses Akbonsar hosted us, and at that time, he gave me the honorary Ghanaian citizenship. <laughs> and so as a result of that, we loved it so much, we came back this year. And uh, <laughs> so I want to welcome all of you. And if you don't mind, please allow me to welcome in particular the contingent that came by road and by air from Nigeria. You're all most welcome. And in particular for the Nigerian contingent, I want to welcome especially my incredible, able, and God-blessed missionaries. Ojeri Days, please can stand up. Thank you so much. These guys labor day and night in a rural village outside of Ibadan. And so for us to get a chance to get them to come overseas once a year, this is a great privilege. <laughs> You're most welcome. Please sit down. Thank you very much. Amen. And to all my Ghanaian brothers and sisters, I love you guys too much. You guys have done an incredible job of building a great nation. And because you've built it, the nations are coming to you. My prayer for you is that what God has done in you, you recognize it's not just for you, but that God wants to walk through you so that his name and his glory shall be published all over the nations of the earth. And so I wish you, thank you so much for a hearty welcome. If paradventure, this is your first time at Gosim. Thank you so much for coming. Now, we have done this ghosting meeting in the United States for 12 straight years. Uh, albeit, this is the second time here in Africa. And so I just want to acknowledge uh, the person who has uh, presided over these meetings for the last 12 years and who for the first time is here with us in Accra today. I'm speaking in the person of Pastor Tosin Abidakon. <laughs> Amen. And of course, I'm delighted also this morning to have with us my wife. Of <laughs> this is her second trip to Accra, Ghana. And she's already telling me she wants to move here. <laughs> <laughs> So she has my vote. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. 
And to the CYI team, thank you so much for the present worship. Thank God for you. Where's Aiti? Uh, Aiti, wave at us. That's my little cousin over there in the back from Lagos, Nigeria. <laughs> All right, let's get ready. Amen. I am trusting God that by the time we are done, all of us will never, ever remain the same. Pastor Tosin prayed the prayer, and Pastor Nee amended it in his exhortation and prayer to us. And my simple admonition to us will be to remove all your religious cap, to take away your traditional spectacles through which many of us filter the word of God. And I must tell you, even for me, even for me, I have to constantly remind myself that what God is saying and doing cannot be received on the basis of how I did it last year or the year before. And hopefully as we study together this morning and tomorrow, we will come to really uh, come to a place of appreciation for how much the Spirit of God wants to teach us, wants to lead us, wants to guide us, so that we can be totally, completely surrendered to that Spirit so that he can take us to a brand new place, a place we have never been before. Because it is in those places and realms that spiritual encounters happen. Amen? Amen? So if you have your Bibles, please go with me now to the book of Galatians chapter 1. And the theme for our time together is justification by grace through faith. Galatians chapter 1. Uh, let's read the first... Uh, actually, the first 17 verses. Uh, can I have someone with a big voice? Brother Kendi, Pastor Kendi, you want to read for me, please? Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Since I'm going to be talking a lot, uh, let somebody else read. Huh? You can't find it? Galatians chapter 1. Anybody has found it? Oh, okay, you found it? Okay, okay. Galatians chapter 1. From verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man. Why are you standing, sir? Why, don't, keep on standing. Yes, and don't, yes. don't lose your place. May I say to you that Paul has never introduced himself like this anywhere else in the scriptures. And so when you're reading your scriptures and you see that, you need to take a pause. Why is he saying this about himself? Are you hearing me? This is huge. Because this in itself gives us the context for why he's doing or writing the message that he's writing. Start over again, please. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Verse 2. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are, no, ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel, gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men, or God, or do I seek, the, seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews, the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. Amen. Up to 17, okay. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I, com I, com I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. So, let me just establish the context for this, for this book so that we can have a better understanding of why Paul is writing in the manner in which he's writing. First of all, we must understand that the book of Galatians is one of the newest, or rather, no, one of the latest books of the New Testament. Bible scholars say that perhaps it was the very first letter written in the entire New Testament. Now, let me put that in perspective. That means it was written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or the book of Acts. Now, a year ago, in a meeting like this in the United States, GOSIM USA, I had two guests that were speaking with me. Uh, Pastor Creflo Dollar, who starts speaking, and Pastor Michael Smith. And when Mike Smith got up to start speaking, I think I sat in a place just like this, and he was speaking, and the first statement he made I thought I needed to jump out of my chair and just grab his neck. 
Because he said, no one can be born again except by the gospel of Paul. That's how he started the meeting. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? So I'm sitting back there saying, whoa, what is this man saying? No one can be born again except by the gospel of Paul. So I'm sitting in my chair, squirming and just very uncomfortable. I said, man, where is this guy taking us today? What is he saying? What else is he going to say? How many more bombs is he going to drop? And I'm looking for scriptures. I'm saying, okay, because I'm thinking now when he finishes, I need to get up there and correct the, correct the teaching. But what I found out was, the more he spoke, the more he spoke, I begin to see that he changed and the adjustment had to be me and not him. And, I'm, and I realized I'm diving into the meat of the message sooner than I really planned, even this morning. But I need to do this to get you guys back to normal, to get you back, to, to get to shock you guys into reality. Case in point, Nicodemus came to Jesus. No, yeah, he came to Jesus by night, John chapter 3. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. Do you all remember that? Yes, Have you read that in your scriptures? Yes, and Nick, Nicodemus said to Jesus, are you serious? Shall I re-enter into my mother's womb and be born again? Is that what you're saying? And Jesus said, no. A he that is born of the spirit is spirit. And he that is born of the flesh is flesh. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were Nicodemus that day, did you have any clarity after Jesus said that? Of course not. The man is asking Jesus a point-blank question. How can he that is What do I need to do? Should I re-enter my mother's womb? And Jesus' answer, he that is born of the flesh is flesh. He that is born of the spirit is spirit. How much clarity does that get? No clarity. Nicodemus had to be more confused by Jesus' answer. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? But the point is, Jesus could not give him the answer at that time. Because in order for Nicodemus to be born again, Jesus had to have died. And since he, was, since he was alive, he could not tell the man to get something that is not gettable. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Yes, sir. The Bible says in the book of, book of Hebrews that a, the will is not into effect until the testator dies. So the New Testament could not come into being until after Jesus has died, buried, and resurrected. And the Born again experience cannot happen until that happens. So Jesus defies the answer, could not answer it, even though he would have liked to give Nicodemus an answer. I'm saying this this morning because I want you to appreciate what we are about to get into. I want you to get a chance to, to, to really get to appreciate what the Pauline epistles, not just Galatians, Corinthians, Romans, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Thessalonians, Timothy. I want, you to, I want you to get a greater appreciation because to this day, when we lead people to Christ, what scripture do we use? Can anybody tell me here? John 3, 16 tells you you need to be born again, but it does not tell you how to be born again. Romans 10, 9. Who gave us Romans 10, 9? Jesus? Paul. The Lord Jesus. Paul. That if, shall, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth 
and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. That's the answer Nicodemus was looking for. So, Nick asked Jesus the question. Paul answered it. Are you guys hearing me? So this is what's happening in the book of Galatians. Let's go back. Let's, let's, let's get back in the book now. Now, I said that to you at, the very, at this very beginning, and I'm going to develop that later on, because I want you to have an appreciation for what God has given to us through Paul. There should never be a, an argument or debate on uh, who is greater, Paul or Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. We know who is greater. Jesus is the greatest of the greatest of the greatest. There will never be any controversy about that. He's the beginning and the ending, the Alpha and the Omega, Amen. the first and the last. There will never be any argument about that. But you must also understand that you and I today, as we sit in this room, are the extension of Jesus' ministry. And if you don't understand that, you will limit what God is able to do through your lives. Now, like I said to you, this book is claimed to be the first of the New Testament writings. Uh, we Bible scholars give us the time 48 to 49 AD as the time of the writing, which places it just barely 15 years after Jesus' ascension, which means there will be some people in the Galatian church who perhaps saw Jesus' ministry. True? Does that make sense? If the book was written just barely 15 years after he went to heaven. So there will be some people in that church who were familiar with his earthly ministry and knew when he checked out. Amen? Amen. Now, my goal in what we're sharing this is, is to motivate all of us to take massive, immediate action in order to create real and lasting change in our lives. Let me say that again. The goal is to motivate you to take massive, immediate action in order to create real and lasting change in your lives. Three ways in which we're going to do that. Number one, I'm going to instruct you, which means I'm going to help you think. Secondly, I'm going to inspire you, which means I'm going to help you feel what God is feeling. Thirdly, I want to ignite or involve you to help get you to act. Now, the book of Galatians is built upon the three premises of persuasive communication because of the nature of what Paul is addressing. Now, let, let me break that down. Because of the nature of the reason for which Paul wrote this book, I am going to teach it based on three premises. The premises are the premises for persuasive speaking or communication. In other words, when a speaker wants to persuade an audience, there are three keys that's very, very important. Most of you are ministry leaders. You are pastors, you are teachers, you are evangelists. You must understand that in order to persuade your audience, there are three pillars that is very critical. Number one, the ethos. The ethos. It's in your notebook. The ethos describes the life of the messenger. Number two, the logos. 
that describes the content of the message you are trying to pass across. And number three, the pathos, which describes the passion in which you get the message across. Anytime you are trying to persuade an audience, you need to do three, three keys. And Paul brought all three to the table in this letter. And we got, by the time we finished, the ethos, the logos, and the pathos. By the time we finish this session, you have a clearer understanding of all those genealogies reading the scriptures that don't make any sense. Isaiah, the son of Amos, and on and on. Jesus Christ, this is the generation of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You wonder, why, why is God listening to all this? You understand that. Because in order for him to convince us, the ethos must be there. The ethos describes the life of the person who's carrying the message. You've heard it before. You discredit the messenger, the message is lost. So the ethos is very, very important. And that's what Paul started out doing in Galatians 1, verse 1. Let's just read that scripture one more time. Galatians 1, 1. How did it start? He said, Paul, an apostle, not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So the book of Galatians was written to address certain false claims among the Galatian church. The Bible tells us in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 1 that certain brethren, is it verse, uh, let's see, what, what verse is that? Hold on one second. I think it's Galatians 2, yeah, Galatians 2, 4. That certain brethren crept into the church. First of all, let me, let me just address that. There are many people in the church today who knows the Christianese. You know what I mean by Christianese? They can speak the language of the church. I'm blessed, I'm favored, I'm, I have the blood of Jesus, on and on and on and on. You know, they come into the church, they dress like the church, but they are not the church. You must understand that. They are false brethren. And they've crept into the church. According to the scriptures, stealthily, like a stealth, like, 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 like disguised. So don't think everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is your brother or your sister. No. By their fruit, you shall know them. Not even by their gift. Not from God. Because this day and time, we see many gifts in operation. And we know the source is not from God. Okay? You can duplicate the gift, but you cannot duplicate the fruit. You can do it. Now, so Paul wrote this letter to address three critical things that was happening in the Galatian church. Number one, the Galatians challenged, no, not the Galatians actually, the Judaizers, that's what they were called. Judaizers. This is why the first brethren that came to the church, they were called Judaizers. Okay? These were Jews from Judea who came into the church, and Bible scholars called them Judaizers. So they came to the Galatian church, which Paul had planted in part of his missionary journey, and they were spreading three major things. Number one, they challenged Paul's apostolic authority. They challenged Paul's apostolic authority. Number two, 
they challenged the message that he was preaching. They said basically that Paul was watering down the gospel in order to appease or appeal to the Gentiles. Amen? And number three, they said that Paul was a mind pleaser. He was a people pleaser. That he was pleasing, he was a people pleaser in order to appeal to the Gentiles. So again, very quickly, they, are ch they challenged his apostolic authority. They refuted the message of grace. And then number three, they accused him of being a people pleaser in order to appeal to the Gentiles. So Paul's goal, therefore, was to persuade this fledging church of his apostolic authority and his message, which I like the way he described his message in Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Can somebody read that for me? Romans 2, 16. Just shout it out. Mm -hmm. No, Romans 2.16. Romans. Did you see Paul's... Hold it. Did you see how he described the gospel? <laughs> Did you see Paul's description of the gospel? According to my gospel. Look at the authority and the confidence of that pronouncement. He did not say the gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. I don't care about those guys. I'm telling you about my gospel. That is confidence. He knew that he knew that he knew that what he was sharing is serious word of God. Amen? Good. So let's, let's, let's move right on. So let's take it one at a time now. Let's go to ethos. Ethos meaning who was Paul? Who was he? So let's look at his background. Now, what I'm sharing right now is the foundation for the rest of the message. And it is needful. Because I don't want you to keep on seeing Paul the way you used to see him. If you continue to see him the way you used to see him, based on tradition, based on men's philosophy, you will never be able to enter into the message and the spirit of which God is trying to ground us now. Amen? So let's look at his background. First of all, Part of the reason for which the Judaizers challenged his apostolic authority was because Judah, I mean, not Judas, I mean, Paul, as you know, was never a part of the first band of apostles. He did not walk with Jesus in his earthly ministry. So they are saying to him, who are you? You, Johnny, come lately. Are you serious? We knew the 12 when Jesus was alive. Where did you come from? And you're going to come and talk about my gospel. Who gave you a gospel? That's why when he said in Galatians 1.1 that he did not get his message from men, nor through men, he's, he's dismantling that argument right off the bat. Don't even think about it. Talking about not being a part of the 12, the spirit. The 12 saw him in the flesh. But I received him in the spirit. And the joy for me and you, as I read through that and understand that, what it does for me is if God can do that for Paul, I can do that through Paul, by the spirit, we have the same Holy Ghost now. So why place a limitation on God? Let's read on. Paul wasn't part of the first apostles of Jesus that received the Great Commission. He himself said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8. He talked about how he was born out of due order. 
So those apostles received a direct call from Jesus and their supernatural baptism of the Holy Spirit became a public event. Paul was relatively unknown to the brethren in Jerusalem. We see that in Galatians chapter 1 verse 22. He said it himself. That many of those guys in Jerusalem did not know him. He was unknown to them. He was first mentioned in Acts chapter 7 verse 58. That's when Philip was about to be stoned to death. Acts 8.1 tells us that he was consenting unto the boy's death, unto the man's death, Philip's death. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 8 tells us that they laid the clothes of Stephen. Oh, did I say Philip or Stephen? I meant Stephen. Stephen. I meant Stephen. Yeah. That they laid his clothes right at his feet. He was consenting to his death. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Verse 4. Okay, go to verse 10. Okay, hold it right there. This is Paul's salvation encounter. I want to ask you a theological question. When did Paul get born again? <laughs> you guys are looking at me very funny. Okay, let, let, me, let, let me repeat the question. At church today, if somebody wants to get born again, what do we do? Auto call. What do we do at the auto call? Okay. Where was Paul's confession here? Can you read the confession for me? Can, can you find the confession and show it to me? Pardon me? Okay, so if somebody came to my church now, or to your church, and they just said, Lord, do, do, Lord Jesus, do you accept that they are born, they are born again? No, I'm not asking what they have done. <laughs> Folks, I'm asking us to see how tradition and religion allows you and I to put a yoke on people's neck that God never put on their necks. Here is a person that Paul, you are himself, is leading to the kingdom. He didn't ask him, Paul, you are a sinner. You did that. You have done that. Confess your sins. Believe. None of that. Now, this is not some, this is not Bishop Aponsa leading him to Christ. This is not Banker Kimberly leading him to Christ. This is not Nin. This is not, no. Jesus himself is leading the guy. And he did not place any condition on the guy's salvation other than, I'm going to go into the city, I'm going to tell you what to do. End of story. And then he told Ananias, go lay hands on him, pray for him. End of story. Listen, if we don't become pregnant with the Spirit of God, we'll put more roadblocks in people's way until they cannot find God. Because our religion says they cannot be born again unto you. The sinner pastor makes the altar call. And as you pray for them and lead them to Christ. How about the Ethiopian Enoch? When did he confess his sin? Ah, have you guys not read it in the book of Acts? Oh, maybe we better go there together quickly. Acts chapter 8. Now, I am not saying that sin is a good thing. I don't want to live here, anyone to live here today and say that that's what I'm saying. No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay? Acts chapter 8. Pastor Nee read this when he was leading us earlier this morning. Verse 34. Anybody read? Acts 8, 34. Hold it. Did he get born again? How many sins did he confess? What does John 3, 16 say? Very simply. That do whosoever what? No, no, no. That's not what it says. Whosoever stops sinning. Uh, are you sure? Okay, if you are sure of that, 
why does your practices in your church don't line up with that? Why is your practice in church? Why does it not line up with the word of God? Why do you think you must tell them to confess 99 sins before they can be born again? Because if you are doing that, you are just like the Galatian church. Now, most people repent of their sins? Yes! Absolutely! We are not saying that you continue to live in sin as a believer. Absolutely not! What we are saying is people who truly believe in your heart, sin drops off of them. The antidote to sin is believing. Unbelief is the root from which sin grows. And believing is the root from which holiness grows. So the point is, we've been majoring on the wrong things and minoring on the wrong things. Are you hearing me? When I saw that, that Jesus did not waste all that time making Paul recount and, and you're a murderer, you blaspheme, you persecute the church. Jesus before... Okay. How about Peter? Who denied Jesus before the cross? Three times before the cock cross. You remember that? Yes. And Jesus rose from the dead and said, go and tell my disciples and Peter. And when he came face to face with Peter, he never asked him one time, why did you deny me? If it was me, I want him to write a thesis. Peter, what was going through your mind? Oh boy, we, we did together with all these years. And then you had a chance to deny me. Peter, what happened to you? Jesus didn't even go there. Not one time. Not one time. Not one time. You see, I'm trying to get you to see how God sees you. If you can ever see the way God sees you, if you can ever have a revelation of how God truly sees you, you'll be set free. God never looks at me and you on the basis of our present condition. He always sees us on the basis of his finished work in us. He sees us on the basis of what he, God, has done and completed in us. Always. So for him to be arguing with Paul would have been inconsequential. Because he saw Paul as a finished product. He saw Peter as a finished product. He saw all of those guys as a finished product. Nathaniel was bad-mouthing him when he saw him, when they told him about Jesus. He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> but when Nathaniel came before him, behold, an Israelite in whom there's no guy. Nathaniel must say, ah, is it, who's he talking to? Because there's plenty of guy in my mouth Gideon was shaking, threshing wheat in a wine press. Coward of a man. God went to him and said, mighty man of valor. What? God, do you know how scared I am from the Midianites? His present condition was fright. But God's eternal purpose in him was a man of valor. You see, you will never get the good out of people by criticizing what they do. You get the good out of them by calling and speaking about their eternal destiny. That's how God moves. So, it's amazing. Ananias was protesting. 
<laughs> telling God, God, do you know this man you want me to go pray for? You have any idea what kind of a man this man is? And God just told him, go do it anyway. Now, going back to Galatians 1.1, where Paul said that uh, his call did not come from men, nor through men. It was using two distinct prepositions to describe his call. When he said not from men, it was referring to the ultimate source of authority. Not from men. And when he says not, not through men, it was referring to the agency or channel through which the authority was conveyed. And you know, I don't know anybody else that has that, 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 that can really say that. None of us in this room can say that. We can say our anointing is not from men. But for all of us, we, we also know it's through men. But not Paul. Let me, let, me, let me explain that again. The ultimate source of our authority, all of us, is not from men. God called us. God ordained us. God anointed us. But in our human experience, all of us, as sometime was encountered by a man through whose, through the, whose agency God laid hands on us and set you into the ministry. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Not from men, but for men, men of us. So for all of us, someone ordained me. Someone laid hands on me. Someone laid hands on you. Someone laid hands on all of us. So for all of us, even though our ultimate source of authority was not from men because God gave it, but the way it was delivered was through men. Do you understand that? But not Apostle Paul. It was neither from men nor through men. God placed him in by himself. Amen? Now, all of this, what we're saying so far is, is defining this ethos. Who he is. Because who he is has a lot to say about what he said. Now, he boasted in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Let me read that. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Now, I don't know what Peter preached, or John, or anybody, but let me tell you, that the gospel that I am preaching is not according to man, for I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it. My goodness. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is powerful. This is very, very powerful. Jesus himself said to us in John chapter 14, verse 12. Can somebody read that for me? John 14, 12. John 14, 12. Does anybody else have any other translation other than this King James English? Ah, they, all you Africans, man, all I see is the... the, 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 the speak very loud. John 14, 12. John 14, 12. Uh-huh. Okay, that's not King James. Okay, all right. John 14, 12. Yes. Truly, truly, I say to you... Uh-huh. He who believes in me. Now, talk to me in English. Thank you. The works that I do. <laughs> yes. He will do also. Yes. And greater works than these he will do. Yes. Because I go to the Father. Good. Thank you. Now read John 16, 12 as well. Many more things. 16, 12. Yes. 
John 16, 12. Yes. I have many more things I to have say. many more things to say to you. Yes. But you cannot bear them now. Thank you. But when he, hmm. the spirit of truth, yes. comes, yes. he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. Okay. But whatever he hears, yes. he will speak. Yes. And he will disclose to you yes. what is to come. Good. That, that's good. That's enough. Now, in times past, you and I may have read those passages and just read them at the glance and just move on. But when you study the life of Paul, those scriptures become very, very poignant. First in John 14, Jesus says to us that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And the greater works that he has done shall we do. Why? Because he's going to the Father and he's going to send the Spirit. Then in chapter 16, verse 12, he says, Ah, I have many more things to share with you. Just like I was talking to Nicodemus and I could not tell him anything else. I have so many more things. But I will not share them now because you are not able to bear it. In other words, you don't have the capacity to receive anything else I can say to you. You know, a little baby, if, if you have a toddler, maybe it's an infant, uh, you cannot give an infant a lamb shank to eat. You cannot give a two-day-old baby a kelewele to eat. Hmm? Kenke? You put it in a little child, you kill it. The child will die. Is there anything wrong with kinky? No, it's good food. But the child's system is not able to digest and to ingest that kind of food at that time. So Jesus looks at those disciples. You guys, you're not serious people yet. Look at Peter. You, you have a lot of zeal. You, you run, 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 run. But at the end of the day, Peter, you know to you guys up to date down tomorrow I have so many other things to say to you guys but you don't have the spiritual capacity to receive it yet so I will save it until when the Holy Spirit comes hear what I'm about to say to you the gospel of Matthew the gospel of Mark the gospel of Luke and John were written by men who did not have the capacity to receive complete revelation so if all you are reading is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus has already told you it's not complete. Because those men did not have the capacity to carry and receive more, deeper revelation about him. So how can they write what they don't have? So you are reading. You get born again and give you the book of John. Just read John. Just read it. Read it. Read. It's good. It will give you insight about the life of Jesus. Very good. But you will never be established in the deep things of God. Because it was not given to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to write it. <laughs> Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Am I stretching the scriptures out? Is it making sense? Matthew was good. But it's not complete. Mark was good. But it's not complete. Luke was good. But it's not complete. John was very good. But still incomplete. Ah, enter Apostle Paul. Let's read Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. I'm going to read it to you in several translations. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. I'm going to read it to you 
in several translations. Colossians 1, verse 25. Let me read it in the Derby, Derby translation. Look at what it says. Of which I became minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given me towards you, to complete the word of God. Did you, see, did you see that? Did you see that word complete? Let me read to you from the easy to read version. I became a servant of the church because God gave me a special work to do. This work helps you. What is the work? Define it for us, Paul. My work is to tell the complete message of God. How about the CEV? That is contemporary English version. God's plan was to make me a servant of his church and to send me to preach his complete message to you. How about the Good News Bible? And I have been made a servant of the church by God who gave me this task to perform for your good. It is the task of fully proclaiming his message. Now, last one. Well, not last one. Let me read the Amplified. And I'm reading all of this because I want you to see the variations. And I want you to see that they are consistent in what they are saying about the completing of the full message. In it, I became a minister in accordance with the divine stewardship which was entrusted to me for you as its object and for your benefit to make the word of God fully known among you. Last one, NLT, that's the New Living Translation. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Now, if you exclude Paul from your reading and from the, from the revelation of the scriptures, how much of God's word do you have? <laughs> I submit to you, we do not have four gospels, we have five gospels. Let that bird fly over your heads and settle down for a minute. How, how much clarity can you get? Paul said, God gave me something for you. He gave me something for you. Why? Why did he give it? So that the message can be complete. Which means what you are carrying. All these big Bibles you are carrying on your chairs before. Incomplete Bible. Incomplete. And unless we have that understanding, you always contain. You say, ah, Paul and Jesus, they contradict themselves. I was pushing a place. In Myanmar, Burma, a year or two ago. Okay, so these were Ghanaian footballers, soccer players who live in Myanmar. Ghanaians and Nigerians. Now, you guys are all over the world, by the way. <laughs> you guys are like cockroaches all over the place. <laughs> but to God's glory, they were they are, they are born again people. They're Ghanaians and Nigerians. And so I preached in the church in the morning and they asked me, Can you come to our Bible study? To encourage, I said, okay, sure. I'm in town, no problem. Going there, we're driving. I said to my wife, what am I going to say to these people? I was struggling. I didn't have a clear message. 
What am I going to say to them? So we sat down. They had praise and worship. And their leader got up, just like Pastor Tosin did a minute ago, to lead in intercession to pray before they brought me on. They were praying, 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 praying. And then he got to one final prayer point. He said, now let's confess all of our sins. Because if we don't confess our sins now, Jesus will not forgive us and therefore we will not be able to receive, we will not be blessed. I said, ah, now I know why God brought me here. <laughs> so they went through all their confessions of sins and all of that and then they gave me the mic. I said, oh, thank you very much. I just went straight to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Which says clearly that we've been forgiven of our sins by the blood of Jesus. So if I have been forgiven, what am I confessing? Ah, you guys are looking at me funny. <laughs> and then one of them got up because in these meetings it's interactive. They said, but Jesus said, if you don't forgive, your father will not forgive you. I said, yeah, Jesus said it. But when did he say it? He said it while Jesus was under the law. This is a new dispensation. We are in a dispensation of the grace of Jesus Christ to the church. Jesus was not wrong. What he said was accurate. But it was accurate only for then. Woo! They said, well, a man died and went to heaven and came back from heaven and God sent him back to say, you have to go and forgive him. I said, were you there with him in heaven when he, when he got there? People come, they come up with all kind, of, all kind of crazy stuff that you cannot support with scripture. Three times Paul tells us in his writings, yes, we should forgive. I want to make sure you understand that. I'm not taking away forgiveness of asking you know, forgiving people. We must forgive people. Before the cross, we forgive in order to be forgiven under the law. But since the cross, we forgive because we have been forgiven. So don't put a yoke on my neck that if I don't forgive somebody, I cannot get something from God. That is the silliest, the most ridiculous, most stupidest statement anybody can make. And I can prove that to you in the scriptures. All the people that Jesus healed in the scriptures, how many of them were sinners? Can anybody answer that question? All of them. Did, he, did, you, did, did he at one time tell any of them, go and forgive somebody before we can receive healing? When he cast out demons, did you tell them, go and confess the generational causes in your life line for 20 years? Did he say that? So where do we come up from all this crazy stuff from? Listen, this is the reason why Paul's revelation is critical. It is a finished work. The work that Jesus did at Calvary is a finished. He said, it is finished. The only part that you and I play is believing. Now, it sounds very simple, but it is profound. Believing. You quoted the scripture of John 3, 16. Whosoever shall believe on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, 17 and 18 defines people that will perish. Why are they perishing? Oh, no, because they commit adultery. No, 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 because they murder somebody. <laughs> If that is so, why, why does this not reflect in what we teach in our churches? The man made it clear. Heaven is because you believe. Hell, because you don't believe. Period. End of story. That's a summary. But tradition, religion, 
and the philosophies of men just would not allow us to move freely in what God has established. Amen? So let me just ask you a question now. Since you, Does Jesus and Paul contradict themselves when it comes to the issue of forgiveness? Can anybody just defend that? If you say no, why? And if you say yes, why? Anybody? Ah, all you Bible scholars. Nobody can answer this question? Yes, sir. Jesus and Paul contradicted themselves to the area of forgiveness because Jesus came in the dispensation of the law. And he came to justify the law. So when he came, they asked him, how should we pray? And then he told them that with forgiveness, you have to forgive in order to be forgiven. But when Paul came, Paul came to say, say that you have already been forgiven. So because of that, you have to forgive. So that's the differences they made. So Paul was kind of like, he came when the Holy Ghost was upon him. But Jesus Christ came, and when he left, he left the Holy Ghost to come and um, continue the work. Does anybody agree or disagree with him? Exactly. So, so they do not disagree. Your answer was correct in making the differentiation on the dispensations. So if I was to answer that question, Jesus and Paul did not disagree. If Paul lived under the law, then he will accept what Jesus said. Okay? And if Jesus was living on this side of the cross, he would say exactly what Paul is saying. So both of them agree, but they both lived in different dispensations and talking to different audiences. Do you understand that? That was a very weak yes. No, no, I, I really want to stop that for a minute. If, if you have any questions about that, I want to address it. Any questions about that? Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Does that give um, somebody license not to forgive? In the, in, the, in the dispensation, the new dispensation. Okay, the question is, does that give anybody license not to forgive in the new dispensation? What is your answer to that? Anybody that's not forgiven in this dispensation, my submission will be they've not tasted the grace of God yet. Now, they may hear it and say, yes, I believe in grace. But it's wanting to hear it and wanting to embrace it. Because the reason Paul is able to teach what he's teaching now, he has not only heard grace, he has received grace. Okay, let me, let me, let me break that down. I think that's a good question. What qualified Paul for the encounter with Jesus? My answer is nothing. He was not qualified. A murderer? persecutor of the church, blasphemer. His sole purpose was to make havoc of the church. So by every human definition, this guy is not a candidate for the kingdom of God. He should go straight to hell on the expressway. Fast lane to hell. And yet, in spite of all the strikes against him, Jesus not said, sent Peter to him. He didn't send John to him. He didn't send Matthew. He didn't send Pastor Nee or Pastor Tristan, Bishop uh, Moses. No. He appeared in person to show us the urgency and the significance of the task. He did not delegate it. To make a point that this most unworthy individual demands my attention. 
Because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. He showed up in person and converted him and put Paul in a three-day memory loss environment to wipe all the things in his head that has to do with the law and all those traditions. Wipe it off and preloaded him with new programming of grace. And now said, now you go and show the world what I've shown you. So the message of grace is most appropriate in the mind of Paul than anybody else. Because he of all people have received serious grace. Amen? Yes. Oh, wait, wait. Just wait for the mic. Because, yeah, thank you. I wanted to ask that um, the grace of God, is mm. it for the believer alone or for the unbelievers too? <laughs> That's a very good question. The grace of God, is it for the believer alone or for the unbelievers too? What do you guys think? Amen. Thank you. Titus 2.11. The grace of God unto salvation has appeared to all men. Jesus appearing to Paul. Mm -hmm. Paul being a murderer. He needed the grace of God. So by then, he's, he's, he, yeah, he's a saved person. Or I can say, because the grace, Jesus had died, the grace is there for everybody. So Paul, by virtue of that, is qualified to be saved. Yeah. What's your yeah. question? Because. What's your question? My question was, um, uh -huh. um, um, is the grace of God for all? all, all, all we answered that question already. Uh -huh. Okay. What's grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor given to man. Unmerited means you didn't earn it. So when, we, when I said Paul did not qualify, what I was saying is that he did not do anything to earn, to deserve, or to merit God's mercy. Somebody that's killing your people and he's showing him mercy. So he didn't, he, 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 there was nothing about what he was doing that was deserving or merit, meriting him being justified and the kind of anointing that God placed upon his life. That's the point. Okay? And this Bible says in the book of Romans that it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Goodness there. We can, we can usually say it's the grace of God. Ephesians 2 it says, For by grace are we saved. That's in us. Through faith. Okay? It is not of our works. It is the gift of God so that no one will be able to boast. So the point I really wanted to just make about this issue of Pauline revelation that I really want you to really focus on for a minute is the fact that through the power of the Holy Spirit, this man had an encounter with God that so filled him up and is still teaching us to this day. The same Holy Spirit that you and I carry right now was, what, was who really revealed to Paul everything is written. I don't know about you guys. It blows my mind. Just to think that I have the exact same opportunity the same resource, not a, the same resource as Paul had. So what can God do through a man or a woman who will yield themselves to him? 
What can I do? What can I do through you and through me? When we fully yield ourselves to him. Because the only one resource Paul had was the Holy Spirit. Nothing else. No one else. And through this one resource, this man wrote most of the New Testament. Through this resource, God was able to give him a stewardship for our generation. And he's still speaking till this day. What can God do through you? Just lift up your hands to God now. Lift up your hands to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I do not want to trivialize the person of your spirit. I realize that when you gave your Holy Spirit, you gave your all. Is our teacher, is our guide, is our helper. You said it will show us things to come so that we will not wallow in darkness as blind men and women, but we will have light where others have darkness. And so we receive the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the place and the role that you play in our lives. We welcome you with open arms that if you, Holy Spirit, can speak through Paul the way you did, and we know you did, we open ourselves that you use us to speak to our generation, to the men and the women to whom you've sent us, that when we speak, we will not speak empty, shallow words, but we will speak pregnant words that will bring productivity, that will bring progress, that will bring transformation, that will bring deliverance in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we welcome you afresh. Move in us. Move through us. Speak in us. Speak through us. We open our ears. We say, speak, Lord, for your seven ears. In the name of Jesus, we welcome you. Thank you. Thank you. You are the great helper. We receive your help. We thank you right now. In the name of Jesus. Thank you that you open the eyes of our understanding. You bring enlightenment. You bring revelation. You bring understanding. You bring clarity. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We embrace you now. Thank you for this resource to the church. We honor and we bless your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a shout. Thank you for listening to this message. You can reach Pastor Bank on Facebook at Pastor Bank Akimola, on Instagram at Bank Akimola, on Twitter at Pastor Bank. Stay blessed. So we can overflow with purpose in mind. You say to